You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Yeah. Hey, we're going to jump into uh, Luke chapter 19 this week. Before we head there, I've just got a couple of things I want to touch on. First, I uh, want, want to give you a bit of a financial update, trying to do that every week to try to keep you guys kind of abreast and updated uh, where, for where we are as a church plant. Um, one of the things that I've been working on lately with our advisory board, our advisory board is kind of an external board that helps to oversee me uh, and our church. And, and, and basically what they do is they help to uh, kind of direct and guide us as we see to plant the well. And one of the things that they have been working with me on the last couple of weeks has been putting together something called a cash flow analysis. Anybody here a fan of numbers? I seen, oh, there's a couple. All right. So you guys will just be like totally in this thing as I'm talking about cash flow analysis. The rest of you are like, it sounds like the pastor's cussing from the pulpit. I should probably leave. Cash flow analysis basically in, in business terms is simply um, taking uh, what, your actual, what your actual monthly expense is, what your actual monthly income is, uh, and then comparing that with your projected income, projected expenses, and then doing some weird plus and minus and multiplication and division stuff with what you actually have in your checking account and savings account. And then from doing all that, you can basically project how many more months you can stay in business. It's called a drop dead report. Uh, it kind of gives you a picture, if you will, of how much further you can make it before you drop dead. And so if that's boring the heck out of you right now, like I said, you feel like I'm just cursing from the pulpit. Let me give you an analogy that might um, help a little bit more because I know we're picture folks. I like pictures. You like pictures. And so if I could paint a picture for you of the church, the church should be kind of like a body, right? It's got a head. It's got some hands. It's got some feet. got some legs, other body pieces and parts. And, and, and uh, the scriptures are actually very clear that the church is very much like a body. The Apostle Paul refers to the church as a body that each of us are members of. Dave mentioned earlier that Jesus is kind of what holds us together. Peter in the scriptures makes it clear that uh, the church itself is like a building built out of stones and those stones are the members of the church and the mortar in between those stones is Jesus. And so all of that analogy, all those pictures brought together, it's kind of like a body, right? Now, there's something that's really, really essential to my body and keeping it alive. You can chop off my arm and I can function eh, okay, right? I can function okay without an arm. Not good not to have an arm, but I can live without it. The scriptures make it clear, though, that the life is in the blood. So the blood in your body is actually what keeps you alive. The church is like a body. The blood in the church family, the blood in that body would be kind of like our money. When you you think about it this way, if you want to kill somebody and you want to drain the life out of them, what do you do? You, you, You drain their blood and they die, correct? And so this is where you get the term in financial bookkeeping and all that, that we're bleeding so much a month. It's kind of the concept that you can only bleed so much every month before there's no life left. That's the drop dead thing. And so all these kind of, I can see spreadsheets in my head and like columns and charts and you guys are, I'm just hoping that the body analogy works good enough. Um, one of the things that I realized as I worked through this um, cash flow analysis 
Um, number one, like praise report, based on everything that we have, like all the cash we have in the bank and everything we have had come in and then everything we have committed, if we're projecting things right, we should be able to make it until about June of 2017 and uh, before we were to drop debt. If absolutely nothing changed from this point forward and if all the commitments that I have are correct and if all the projections that I have are right, then our body will continue to live until roughly May or June of 2017. That's pretty good because like, um, you know, like a month ago we had like three weeks, right? And so I think we should clap for Jesus because he's given us provision. So, so that, that's a really cool thing. Uh, another piece in the midst of this, as I'm looking at this report, is, again, our, our monthly budget for our church family to operate and do what we do is roughly what? Who knows the answer? How much is it? 7, About 7000 a month, right? And so our church family, we have a, an adult membership list of roughly 40 to 43 people, 40, 43 adults. And, uh, and, and of, uh, it, within that group of, of uh, adult members, our adult members are supporting roughly $2,500 of that monthly budget. So, so that's good. You should clap for that, right? But what that tells us is that we're bleeding $4,500 a month, right? Does that make sense? Somehow that $4,500 a month has got to come from somewhere. And thankfully for us, huge blessing that we've had other churches and individuals that buy into church planting and seeing the gospel uh, proclaimed through a church being planted in Hastings. And so we do have some commitments and money in the bank that kind of helps keep us going. But the reality is that we bleed $4,500 a month. Um, another thing to look at in the midst of that is if we have roughly 40 uh, to 40 plus adult members, uh, from, from what our leadership can tell, roughly 20 of those adult members are, are committed in their giving and are faithful in their giving and, and are doing that. Uh, and then the other 20, it's hard to tell. Like either A, have not made a commitment, B, aren't given very much, so on and so forth. And so um, I give you that report just to kind of let you know where we are, uh, where we are. Um, I think part of the maturity of a disciple of Jesus is growing in the way that we understand his generosity towards us so that we can then be um, generous as well because we cannot outgive of who he is. Um, I think another thing that we can celebrate is that four years ago when we started this church in our living room, it was just Christy and I that were giving. So, so in four years, we've gone from two to 20. Um, and I think that's huge. I think that's a really cool thing. Like only the Lord can do that. There's no way that I can sit on stage and spiritually manipulate that or beat the heck out of somebody enough to want to give because who, who wants to come and give their time, talent, and treasure um, to a church unless you've understood the gospel, unless you've heard who Christ is. And and so I just give us that by way of update, kind of let you know where we're at and the work that lies ahead of us. We've got a lot of work ahead of us, right? And God's got to add to our midst people that are willing and desiring to invest in the ministry of the gospel through church planting. So please be praying for that. Um, and just encourage you guys to continue giving too. And encourage those of you that are kind of struggling in that area to just really be asking the Lord, like how he could impress the picture of the generosity of the cross on you in such a way that you would give more generously as well. So that's kind of my financial update. And then uh, Gospel Communities in Porterbrook, they launched this week. I know Dave mentioned that earlier. For those of you that are in the Porterbrook discipleship thing, um, uh, we've got your books and some other handouts for you. Please make sure you just hang around right after uh, our gathering this evening. I uh, want to do kind of a short orientation thing where we spend some time praying together, get materials out, answer questions, give instructions, and those kinds of things. Uh, if you are just kind of coming in and you're like, man, I wanted to do that and I missed it, um, we could probably make space for a few more people if you would like to hook up with that. Um, so just holler at me afterwards.
And then gospel communities, you should have gotten text messages, emails, phone calls from your gospel community leaders over the last few weeks. I think the Tuesday night ones, so they're doing a potluck tomorrow night. I think the Wednesday night ones meeting over at Brickyard. I'm not sure what the ladies on Wednesday mornings are doing. I think the guys for Eric's group are kind of probably going to meet in his backyard next Sunday and do some sort of a barbecue or throw tomahawks or shoot spitwads or something. <laughs> have a farting contest. I don't know. Um, men are kind of strange like that, so that's why you ladies got your own you can go and you can be prissy and that kind of stuff so that was funny come on seriously like, <laughs> I'm, I'm working up here okay like really <laughs> come on um, uh, one other thing I want to mention too is men's retreat I know that Andrew has more details on this you need to see Andrew Andrew raise your hand Andrew's got details on that but I know that men's retreat is this coming Friday through Sunday and so if you're interested in going you've got to talk to him Andrew should have details as to uh, when the group is leaving where the group is meeting to leave and if you need transportation Andrew should be able to answer that question as well um, financially money wise cost wise maybe between 30 and 40 bucks, but we're going to do something there to uh, uh, to kind of decide how much that is, and then you can kind of make a pledge over. The, you, ain't got to, you don't have to bring money with you. That's the point. Um, you can you can get there, kind of decide how much you're able to pay. We'd like you to to give something towards it, but we know there's some of us that are able to help cover the cost for others of us that are a little bit shorter on cash. So um, so you need to definitely talk to Andrew about some of those things. And I'm trying to think, we're going to do fishing, probably get on a boat, go boating, probably going to get on the jet ski, probably going to play some horseshoes, probably going to sit on the deck, play cards, have drinks, eat great food. I think um, uh, Abe is bringing all the food and stuff. Um, and then I know Andrew's got other stuff he wants to tag on, so go ahead. Uh, if you want to go, we need to know by Wednesday evening so I can get everything together and figure out how everybody's going to get there. Okay. How much food so make sure you text or email or Facebook message Andrew. Do not do not message me on that because I I'm gonna ignore it. Message Andrew. How do you get his number? How do you, how do you get his phone number? You go over there and you ask him. <laughs> Is that what you asked? <laughs> Did you ask how you you can't go? You're not. Okay, so if we didn't have a conversation, you're not a man. You're just sorry, like it's just the way it is. <laughs> Um, what time do you think you guys are leaving Friday? Uh, 4.35 o'clock. 4.35 o'clock. Think you're going to leave from the church probably? Okay. And if somebody needs transportation, they should let you know so that you can get them picked up, right? Okay. Um, Abe's doing all the cooking. Thank uh, God. Sleeping bag Just stuff to sleep on. Yep. Teddy bear. <laughs> and Andrew can only be only Andrew can only be your teddy bear for like for so many guys, and I've already got dips. What else? Did we miss anything? I think we're good. Yeah, I know we, we had a good text message conversation going back and forth. I, I think that's pretty good. As long as you guys as long as you guys know to get a hold of Andrew and, and we'll probably Andrew maybe post something on our Facebook page, um, our internal members group and maybe even the other one too um, tonight. Maybe when you go home just kinda of remind people to get a hold of you. Um, that way we've got that stuff put together. So 
I think that's men's retreat. It should be good. It should be right. It should be fun. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Luke 19, 1 through 10. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. I'd like to pray for us before we dive in. Father, thank you. Uh, again, for just the privilege and the opportunity that it is to come and to be in your presence and to, um, and even just f- for me personally to stand in front of these people with um, your word open. Lord, I, I trust and believe and know that your word is powerful um, and that, that your word is um, really one of the only um, um, one of the only things that we, we have hope to, to hear from you through. Um, Lord, I know that your spirit speaks, and I pray that your spirit would speak through your word and speak through me as I begin to preach. And I, I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to catch a vision of who you are and what you want for our lives. And um, uh, I just know, God, that... Um, but the, there are just many different seasons of life, many different things happening in, in our hearts and our minds. Um, and, and I just pray, God, that you would somehow just like supernaturally clear away the clutter um, so that we might see you, that we might hear from you, that we might find refreshment in you, um, and that you might help us to just run to you. So, God, I just pray those things. I pray, God, that you would take the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth and, and that you would um, just cause them to be acceptable in your sight. I pray that you would help me to uh, speak words um, prophetically even um, for, for our hearts and our lives. And, and just pray, God, that you would encourage us and challenge us. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. So Luke 19, 1 through 10. Luke says this. He says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So I've entitled this, uh, this message, um, Little Gangster Gone Good. You guys know me, you know that uh, and I have some Italian in my background. In fact, I'm, I'm about 50% Italian, and so uh, I can reel your ears with stories from my grandfather and, um, and the Italian side of my family. And one of the things that I grew up on were old gangster movies. And uh, one of my favorite old gangster movies growing up. I'm not saying you should go home and do this. I'm not saying it's a good thing to have your kids grow up on gangster movies. Okay, so don't just 
I'm not, I'm not advocating or condoning. I'm just sharing a story of like how I grew up, right? So if you go out of here and you tweet something or you say something to your friends like, hey, the pastor said it's like, no, I'm not saying that. Just saying, just saying, focus. Like I grew up on gangster movies. And one of my favorites then was a movie called Goodfellas. If you've ever seen it, you should probably go repent. Um, but... <laughs> And so I kind of felt like as I was studying this passage this week that maybe going and watching old gangster movies would be an appropriate use of my sermon prep time until a few guys lovingly rebuked me for that. And, and, uh, but I was reminded of this movie, Goodfellas, in the, in the opening lines of that movie, the narrator who is Ray Liotta, who, who plays the character of Henry Hill, he says this. It's always been etched on my memory. Some of you know what he says. He goes, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And then you hear all this music start, and then it goes into the movie. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And every time I hear that line, I think of Henry's little buddy in the movie. His name is Tommy. Tommy's played by Joe Pesci, who I think makes an absolute perfect gangster, hands down, best gangster of all time. Joe Pesci, his little legs, his high-pitched, whiny voice, his, his arrogant swagger, his hot-headed temper. I mean, like, like Joe Pesci holding the baseball bat, going, after dudes he doesn't like. The, the baseball bat is as big as he is, right? I mean, it's just, I love watching Joe Pesci, especially in that character of Tommy. And I think in many ways, what I think is I think that Joe Pesci would have made the perfect Zacchaeus if there was ever a movie made about him. Like, I just see him, right? Like, just running along on his little legs ahead of the crowd trying to climb the tree as Jesus is getting near. I can see him hiding in that tree from the crowd that basically hates his guts, right? Hates his guts for all the years of stealing and coercion that he's done. And then I can almost basically just kind of see him, like, nearly falling out of that tree tree when Jesus kind of walks up, stops under the tree and is like, hey, yo, Zacchaeus, like calls him by name and is like, come down here. I want to spend some time with you. I can basically see little Joe Pesci sitting there, little Tommy. Oh, funny how? What do you mean funny, right? I just see him rushing down that tree to get into the presence of Jesus. I can see the crowd all around them booing uh, because of Jesus' invite, because of the way that Jesus invites himself into Tommy. Tommy's life or into Zacchaeus or into Joe Pesci, just depending upon which person you're seeing in your head, right? But as funny as that story is, though, and as funny as all those pictures are, as funny as I think it would be for Joe Pesci, and again, I can hear him in the back of my mind, funny how? Funny like I'm a clown, right? I just see this movie playing over and over again. And as funny as it is, though, the reality is that, that what's happening in this story is really serious. It's a really serious thing. This passage is a really serious passage, and it begs this question. Like, like if I was a little gangster, someone who abused people just to get ahead in life, someone who used people for my own selfish person, right? Or like, like, like if I was the kind of person who had no reverence for God, no reverence for his people, and here I am like hiding in a tree and Jesus stops and like calls me by name, what would I do? What would I do? Man, would, I, would I call him Lord? Would I receive him with joy? Would, would I repent openly, publicly? 
But would that be the way that I would respond to Jesus if I was in Zacchaeus' shoes? Well, I studied my way through some of the commentaries on this passage, some of the guys that have um, gone before me that have preached their sermons and they have commented on the meaning of this passage. This one dude that I oftentimes read, his name is J.C. Ryle, um, commented on this passage, says this, says, if ever there was a soul sought and saved without having done anything to deserve it, that soul was the soul of Zacchaeus. Unasked, our Lord stops and speaks to Zacchaeus. Unasked, he offers himself to be a guest in the house of a sinner. Unasked, he sends into the heart of a publican the renewing grace of the Spirit and puts him that very day among the children of God. Such a good quote. Like, can you imagine, like, starting your day off by climbing up a tree just to see Jesus, only to find that the Jesus that you have been seeking to see is the same Jesus that has been seeking to save you? Can you imagine that? That place you've been seeking to see, this famous Jesus, and all along while you've been seeking just to catch a glimpse of him, just to see him, he's been seeking all alone to save you. And that's exactly how Zacchaeus' day begins. I notice how Zacchaeus just climbs up this tree to see Jesus in like verses 1 through 4. Luke tells us that as Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Like notice the fact that Zacchaeus Zacchaeus wasn't just some ordinary thief. Zacchaeus wasn't just an ordinary bad dude, right? He was the chief of thieves in his city. One commentator calls Zacchaeus the head of the Jericho tax cartel. That's the way one commentator speaks of him. In other words, he was the mob boss, right? He was, he was the dude. He was the guy that was in charge. He was the godfather, the master mobster, the, the, the head of the five families. He was the, the gangster of all gangsters. That's who Zacchaeus was. He was a big bad dude. Zacchaeus wasn't known for his pursuit of Jesus. He did not have that reputation of being somebody who was seeking Jesus. His life didn't carry the evidence or the aroma of the gospel. Nothing about the substance of the gospel was pregnant or present, or pregnant for that matter, in Zacchaeus' life. He was that guy in town that everybody feared. Man, everybody feared him because he was ruthless and violent and completely manipulative and selfish. That's Zacchaeus. But like Zacchaeus wasn't just a ruthless gangster either. He was, he was like this tiny little man with a big attitude and a big appetite for other people's money. Like, like when you and I wake up and we smell coffee in the morning, for those of you who like coffee, and we go, man, that wakes me up and that gets me going. That's not what got Zacchaeus going. What got Zacchaeus going was the smell of other people's money. That's what got that little dude out of bed and got him down the road. But it's, something's funny about this day. 
For some reason, he's seeking to see Jesus so much so that he runs on ahead of the rest of the crowd all by himself and climbs up this tree so he can see Jesus. Man, man, like no self-respecting gangster would run ahead of the crowd. No self-respecting gangster or or wealthy person or, or respectable person would run on ahead of the crowd. Usually the people that run on ahead of the crowd are the rebel rousers, right? Right, the undignified folk. The dignified folks would typically take up the rear. They would take up the rear among their entourage of other respectable types, but not Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus ran ahead of everyone else on his stubby little legs, and he climbs up this tree to catch a better view of Jesus. And Zacchaeus didn't let his physical ability or physical disability, for that matter, hold him back from getting ahead of the crowd so that he could see Jesus. He didn't didn't let his sinful status or his social status keep him from seeking to see Jesus. Man, in short, no pun intended... In short, in short, like this little gangster of a dude, I goes all out to go see Jesus. Didn't let anything stop him. If you think about, you think about last week's text with blind Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the street corner, blind and begging. Zacchaeus is completely different. He's not blind. And he's not begging, he's not poor, right? He's not poor or blind like this guy from last week, but he was determined to see Jesus. Zacchaeus was was very much like the wealthy man a few weeks ago that we talked about who had all the wealth that a person could want. And Jesus tells him, hey, hey, if you want a place in heaven, go get rid of everything and give it to the poor. And then you got a place. And that guy walked away sad, if you remember that, right? Walked away sad because Jesus told him, hey, you need to get rid of your wealth and give it away to the poor. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus in this passage, man, he doesn't let his wealth Stop him from seeking Jesus. Like he asked this question of application for us. Like as you study the scriptures, just knowing these things about the story or knowing these things about the passage is not enough. Like if you, if you just stop there and you don't apply it to your heart and your mind and your life, and then, then, then you're really not getting out of it, I think, what the Holy Spirit would want for you. Like, like you got to ask this question, what stops us from doing everything that we can possibly do to see Jesus? What is it that prohibits us from breaking free? What is it that prohibits us from breaking free from the things that restrict us from going to great lengths just to see Jesus? And does your wealth or or your lack of wealth stop you? Does your reputation stop you? Does your, does your lifestyle stop you? Are there, are there some physical disabilities that you're wrestling with that you're allowing to stop you from truly, authentically seeing Jesus? Is the crowd around you maybe stopping you from seeing Jesus? Like, what is it that stops you from climbing the heights of any challenge in front of you to see Jesus? Well, what is it that stops you from climbing those heights? I think, I think that if we wrestle with these questions and if we, if we lay aside every hindrance or, or every excuse, if we, if we lay aside all those things that stop us from seeking to see Jesus and we dig down into the roots of what actually stops us, I think what happens in the midst of that is we actually can, can, can like position ourselves to see Jesus. 
And not only come positioned to see him, but become positioned to hear the invitation from God to be in Jesus' presence. Like, that's what's happening in this passage if you're tracking the narrative and the story flow. Zacchaeus lays aside anything and everything that could possibly stop him from seeing Jesus. And, and the result of that is that he gets himself positioned in a place to not only see Jesus from his perfect position and view in that tree branch, but, but then to also just receive this personal invitation from Jesus to be in his presence, to be in the presence of our Savior, to be in the presence of perfection. Man, notice, notice how Jesus just invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. Y'all got any friends just like invite themselves over whenever they want? Like just kind of show up at your house, knock on the door. Hey, what's up? Got a soda in your fridge? Got to want to eat something? Hey, it's been a really long day. Hey, what do you, you should have called me first. Like, what are you just doing? Stopping by? Like, that's my response. Like, you should call before you stop by. You should make sure that it's okay, right? Um, I'm just kind of protective of my own little bubble. I don't know if you guys are that way, but Jesus like just walks up and invites himself into Zacchaeus' house. Luke tells us when Jesus came to that place, that place, that place where there's little gangsters sitting up in the tree. Have you just seen him? Short little legs swinging back and forth, right? Jesus came to that place. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And Jesus, Jesus sees Zacchaeus and then he calls him by name. Like you think about this, you think about this moment when this is happening. Zacchaeus has been out wanting to see Jesus, wanting to see who he is, knowing full well who he is, knowing full well who he himself is. Like all of us know, like, like ourselves fairly well, right? You think of Zacchaeus, I think part of him was kind of hiding up there too, right? Maybe he doesn't want to be seen for who he really is. They'd be afraid of the crowd around him. They know him, man. They'd probably take him out if they had a chance. A short little guy in the crowd been stealing and using his own people for his own um, kind of leg up in life. That's a shameful, guilty place to live if you think about it. Jesus stops and Luke tells us he sees him and he calls out to him, calls him by name. Think with me for a moment. Think with me for just a minute about all the names that you've been called in your life. Think about, think about all the names that you call yourself when you talk to yourself. Think about all the negative ways that you talk about you. Think for a minute about how you spend more time talking to yourself in your mind than anyone else talks to you. Think about what you think about for a minute. And when Jesus calls Zacchaeus, by name. It's as though like in this moment, Jesus is like endearing himself to Zacchaeus. Get this picture. He who is perfect is enduring himself, endearing himself, drawing close to, relating to he who is completely imperfect. I mean, this is, this is mind-boggling if you think about it. Typically those of us who think we're better than everybody else, we try to set ourselves away from everybody else that aren't so good, right? Jesus, though, in all his perfection, looks at Zacchaeus, calls him by name as though he's just endearing himself relationally to him. He doesn't look up at Zacchaeus and go, hey, you, idiot, come down here. He doesn't look up. He doesn't, hey, you, you're worthless. Get down here. 
It's like, you, short stuff. It's probably maybe what I would have said. Hey, short stop, get down here. Like Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't call him in connection with his wealth either. Just like he doesn't call any of us in connection with our lack of wealth. Calls Zacchaeus into his presence by calling him by name while seeing every detail of Zacchaeus' sinful little life. What, what, what name do you hear Jesus calling you by? What tone of voice do you hear Jesus using when you hear him call you? How, how personal does Jesus get with you? Like, I personally think that when Jesus calls us by name into his presence, he does it gently, joyfully, and personally. Gently, joyfully, and personally. And when Jesus calls you, he knows your name intimately. He sees and knows every piece of you right down to the very last hair on your head. He knows every ounce of sin that has, that has walked through you, lives in you, and that you've committed. He knows every detail down to the very last minute thing. And he came to this earth. He came with your name on his list and your face in his mind as he walked to the cross. Like, What kind of response does that provoke deep down inside of you as you think about this? Does it make you want to rush right into the presence of Jesus? Like, that's what happened with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, like, nearly fell out of that tree when Jesus invited himself over, right? That was his response. Nearly fell right out of his position in that tree and into the presence of his Savior. Like, notice how Jesus or how Zacchaeus hurries down the tree to receive Jesus. Look at verse 6. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Man, Zacchaeus didn't cower in fear. He could have. He didn't make excuses. He didn't ignore the call of the Lord, but instead he hurried into the presence of Jesus and received him joyfully. Like he didn't come slowly. He didn't sit back and think about it for a minute. He didn't pretend not to hear. He didn't come grumbling and complaining. Then he came to Jesus quickly. He came quickly when he heard Jesus call him. He came to him quickly and receptively and joyfully. Man, if you're here and you've heard the call of Jesus and you've come to him, like, like there's nothing that could stop you from coming to him. And there's nothing that should stop you from coming to him full of joy, quickly, receptively. So easy for us, I think, though, to just fall into these traps, like these traps of just kind of mistrusting Jesus, right? And just like thinking that, that Jesus must be just like us, like somehow Jesus must be just like me. You imagine, put yourself in Zacchaeus' place. And Zacchaeus had, had maybe thought that maybe, maybe Jesus is just like me and maybe he's just here to use and abuse me. Like he just wants something from me or just stands to gain something from calling me. Sometimes I think that we mistreat Jesus that way and think that the only reason that he's calling us is because he wants something from us. I'm just here to say like the only thing that he wants from you is you. See, the only thing he wants from you is you. Is that, is that breaking through? 
The only thing he wants from you is you. And when you and I realize that that's all he wants is us, like there's nothing that, that we wouldn't want to give him then. When we realize how much he's given so that we can then walk in relationships, so that we can basically fall out of that tree and come into his presence and receive that invitation. We realize the great lengths that he went through. Listen, like all of our mistakes and all of our sins separate us from God. There's, there's no way we can come into his presence on our own. Only Jesus makes that possible. When you catch that glimpse and you catch that picture, then, then like you throw off the shackles that have been holding you back. The question is, like, have, you, have you responded to Jesus' call? Have you responded to his call in your life? Like the lesson for us here is that when we become positioned to see Jesus and he like calls us by name, even though he sees every bit and piece and part of us, like we got to respond quickly. We can't just sit back on our thumbs. We, we got to respond receptively. We got to receive him and no longer reject him. We got to respond joyfully. Have you responded to Jesus' call? Or are you more like kind of the haters, right? And the skeptics and the grumblers and the complainers in the crowd in this passage. Notice how the crowd responds to what's unfolding in front of them. Luke tells us that when the crowd saw Zacchaeus hurry down the tree, they all grumbled. They all grumbled. This is what they said. They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. There will always be people, right? There will always be people who have this super kind of negative outlook on life who need to be reminded that, you know what? Hey, the glass isn't just half empty. It's actually half full. Like I'm one of those. I need to be reminded the glass is actually half full. There's always going to be people who have this super negative look and struggle to be filled with joy, right? Life is not all happy, clappy rainbows and unicorns. We know that. So there's always going to be that struggle in life. There will always be a struggle with kind of some griping and complaining and grumbling. But this, in this passage, this is not just the mere case of people grumbling and complaining about the hardship of life or the difficulty of life or how hard it is to pay our bills or how difficult it is walking out the single life or how difficult it is to be married or, or how difficult it is to keep my stinking car running. This isn't just people like moaning and complaining about the hardships of life. Like this isn't just a crowd either that's like complaining and grumbling just because they maybe feel left out or slighted somehow because some preacher left them out. Like this is a crowd that is actually grumbling against Jesus himself. They're grumbling about the way he is walking out his mission and his ministry. Do you ever grumble against Jesus? I mean, just think about that for a minute. That's a hard one to admit, isn't it? Wouldn't that be hard to admit that we've all grumbled against Jesus? Been upset because things didn't go the way we thought God should have done them, thereby putting ourselves in God's seat and controlling him somehow? Hey, Jesus, you didn't do this for me. I should be God. You should have done it this way. I'm pissed at you now. Right? Haven't we all done that? I've just been totally pissed off at Jesus because this didn't go the way that... I thought it should go, and gosh, I definitely know better than the God of the universe. <gasps> Dead, right? 
I mean, every time I start thinking like that, I'm like, man, lightning's going to freaking zap me. Christy, get out the way because I'm going to die, right? I mean, don't we all struggle with this? <laughs> Isn't it true? Like, things don't go, I mean, tonight, like, our worship team did four songs instead of five, and I'm standing there like, what's going on? Like, if I was God, there would have been five songs, right? <laughs> or at least the worship leader would have told me they were only going to do four. That would have been helpful. <laughs> anyway, since I'm not God, things don't go the way that I expect them to, right? Right? <laughs> I'm only picking on you, Andrew. I hope it's okay. We can have a talk afterwards if we need to. You can set me straight. Man, do you... Do you ever grumble against Jesus, though? I mean, think about this, okay? I've just, like, gutted myself in front of everybody. I'm sure that you guys have been there as well. You ever grumble because you feel left out? Like someone maybe hasn't paid you enough attention, or like someone else is getting the attention that you actually deserve, or, or like someone else is maybe getting attention that they don't deserve. That's a tough one, right? That's what's happening in this passage. Like the problem for us is when we start giving in, listen to this, when, when, when you and I start giving in to that kind of thinking, what we're actually doing is we're giving in to sin. And we're giving in to the sin of self-exaltation, self-worship, and self-esteem. That's what we're giving in to. Rather, rather than Christ-exaltation, Christ-worship, and Christ-esteem. That's what we're giving in to in those moments. And hey, I just guarantee you're probably all going to walk out of here, probably going to do that a few times more. And need to identify that, need to see that, need to understand that, need to confess that, and need to repent of that, right? Like if you and I have truly come to a place of exalting and worshiping and esteeming Christ, then our lives will show the fruit of true and authentic faith, which is evidenced by the presence of public repentance. Instead of the sin of public grumbling, right? But this is exactly what happens in this story. Like, there's, there's times when I'll just be like, man, I wish I could get away from saying what's in this passage. Because it kind of makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? That make you a little bit uncomfortable? Makes me uncomfortable to say it. Like, makes me uncomfortable to have to say, hey, I know us as people. We struggle with this. Like we would rather publicly complain and grumble and rant and rave and moan rather, rather than in those moments confess that that's a sin, repent of it, and then trust Jesus, exalt him. Like let him become bigger, let him be magnified in our lives, and let us become smaller. I mean, that's a picture of John the Baptist, what he did. All oh, throughout the scriptures, this is what you see happening in the lives of people who come to believe in Christ, is they become small and Christ begins to get bigger. Like notice, notice how Zacchaeus repents in public. Verse 8, Luke tells us, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anything, I restore it fourfold. And there could be no doubt, no doubt, if you put yourself in the midst of this story, you put yourself there, you know who Zacchaeus is, you've met him, you've locked your doors when he's coming around to do his collections. There could be no doubt in your mind, in that moment, that Zacchaeus was repenting radically. No doubt when this happens. 
First of all, first of all, he addresses Jesus as Lord. He no longer believes he's the king of his life. He no longer believes he needs to be in control. He no longer believes that he has to be in charge. He no longer believes that he wants to use you or I to make him feel better, right? He's no longer going to use other people for his stepping stool. He's now referring to Christ as his Lord. And then, and then to follow that up, to just basically prove that Jesus become the king and the Lord and the master of his life, that he's no longer the gangster of gangsters, that he now has come under the submission and surrendering to Jesus as his king, hey, gives away half his wealth. Gives away half his wealth. And on top of that, repays anything he's stolen four times over. Think about how much money you got in the bank right now. Half of it. Right now, half of it. For some of you, that's like, I got a buck, so that's 50 cents. Ain't much. There's some of you here, though, you're in a different place. And you think half of your wealth, man, half the cars you own, half the clothing you have, half the homes you have, whatever that may look like, half of what you've got, just give it away to the poor. Right there. That was Zacchaeus's on-the-spot step of repentance publicly. It's radical. It's radical. And then, everybody that I've extorted, everybody that I've hurt, everybody that I've taken money from, everybody that I've stolen from, I'm going to repay that four times over. Like, this is radical public repentance, right? Think about that. And it's personal repentance. It's specific repentance. It's not just like the, the crazy old prayer that you pray at camp. Hey, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. I need you to forgive me. I believe in you and trust in you. Now I'm going to go back to living life with the same way I always I got my, got my, uh, uh, like my fire insurance, right? I'm, I'm going to get saved from hell, but I'm going to continue living the same way I always lived type of thing. And the next year when I come back around to kids camp or youth camp, I'm going to say that prayer again. Like same thing happens in churches all the time, right? Show up, pray a prayer, get a good feeling, walk away feeling good and filled up for a while to go back to my old life again. Haven't really met Jesus. That's really what's happening, right? Zacchaeus was proven to us that, that he met Jesus because what flowed out of that was radical repentance. You cannot separate faith from repentance. James makes this very clear. Our lifestyles have to be proven. Our faith has to be proven through our lifestyle. What would it look like if we were as generous as Zacchaeus in his repentance? Like, have you come to that place where you've called upon the name of Jesus to save you from your sinfulness? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you caught this picture of how deep of a sinner every one of us is and how great and perfect Jesus actually is and, and the, the amount of his sacrifice and the weight of the price that he paid for you and I and the wages of our sin, the paycheck that you and I are getting for our sin is, is eternal separation from God the Father in a place of torment, right? Jesus comes unasked into our lives and gives us this invitation. Not one of us here was desiring for God to give us that invitation. Have you surrendered your life to him as he comes and addresses you this way? Have you taken that opportunity to come to that place of like radical repentance? Radical public repentance? Have you, have you heard? Have you heard Jesus proclaim the message of salvation over you? Can you in this moment say, I have the assurance 
that Jesus has saved me. Jesus does this. Luke tells us that Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also, Zacchaeus, is a son of Abraham. Jesus is proclaiming salvation over Zacchaeus. This is not something that any of us have the power to do. Only Jesus, through the work of his spirit, can give you the assurance that you are saved, that you are part of the family of God. Man, Jesus is literally saying in this passage that Zacchaeus has just become a Christian, that he's become a Christian. He's been saved from the penalty and the power of his sin. He has become a child of God. He's no longer an enemy of God. And the evidence of this profound change that took place in Zacchaeus is the fact that Jesus, or that Zacchaeus called Jesus Lord, and then immediately began to repent. He immediately walked out repentance. And are you living with the assurance that Jesus has saved you? Do you have that? Can you rest assured today? Is there evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life cleansing you and changing you? Is your life becoming more and more holy as you follow God? And Zacchaeus went up a tree to see Jesus, right? Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. Zacchaeus hurried down and and responded to Jesus, his invitation. Zacchaeus repented radically, even though all the crowds around him were booing him. And as a result, Jesus proclaims salvation over Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus now lives with the hope of heaven in his future. And that's what you and I get when we respond to that invitation from Jesus to come to him. The hope of heaven. This is the mission of Jesus on display. That's what this is. The mission of God on display in a story form. It's not just a funny story about a bad little gangster. It's the unfolding of Jesus' mission to ransom and to redeem lost sinners into the family of God the Father. This is why the final verse in this passage is so important for us because in this final verse we see Jesus' mission on display. Luke tells us that after Zacchaeus repents publicly and Jesus proclaims the assurance of salvation over Zacchaeus, Jesus makes one of the most infamous claims in all of Scripture. One of the most infamous statements in all of Scripture, he says this, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is the hook of the entire passage. I would like to say it's the hook of the entirety of the Bible. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. It's the hook, the entire passage. We finally understand that even though Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus, Jesus was seeking to save Zacchaeus. Doesn't that move you a little bit? And you might have showed up here tonight after years of running from Jesus. You might have showed up here tonight after years of running from him so that you could just check things out or get a quick refill, right? You might have come here tonight after years of trying to follow Jesus by keeping all your external check marks and and X's in a row. 
And you might come here tonight with a heart full of despair and discontentment or disappointment or discouragement, but little did you know, like little did you know that whatever you came here seeking tonight, Jesus has been here all along seeking to save you and to change you from your lost state of living. He knows your name. He's calling you out personally. This isn't just a general call. He's not just saying all who might come and follow me by chance, you might come call me, follow me. He knows exactly who you are. He knows your name and he loves you. That's why he came. That's why he's headed to Jerusalem to give himself willingly for you so that you might trust in him, believe in him and be changed, be part of the family rather than be apart from him. He knows your name. He's calling you personally. He's longing to proclaim the assurance of salvation over you. He's waiting for you. Waiting for you to come down from your place of observation in that tree. Or maybe your place of hiding. What will you do now? Like that's the question we started with. After hearing this message, after studying this passage, after, after observing this little gangster gone good, right? After seeing and hearing all of this, what will you do now? Will you do everything you can to see Jesus? Will you run to Jesus and receive him instead of rejecting him? You run to him, receive him, receive his invitation with joy. Will you sit back grumbling, whining, and just thinking and resisting? Will you call him Lord? Will you repent radically? Will you hear the message of the gospel and come back from your wandering? Zacchaeus did. What will you do? Let's pray as our music team comes forward. Father, Thank you again for the weight of this passage, the truth of this passage. Thank you, God, for the picture of Zacchaeus, this little gangster guy gone good. Thank you for the picture of, of your sovereign grace at work as you come unannounced into our lives, as you step unannounced into the room. Thank you for this picture that though we might be seeking to catch a little glimpse of you, the reality is that all along you've been seeking to save us, seeking to save us from the penalty of our sin and the power of our sin and to make us a part of your family. I just pray for all of us here in this room, all of us that are listening to this message. And Father, I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would just break into the shadowy places of our hearts. And that you would draw us to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. We're going to wrap up tonight uh, just by taking communion together. There, uh, the way that we do communion is that somebody will be near the front to serve you the communion elements. And literally, when you come to take communion, when you come to this table, this feast, this meal, which is really what it is, when you come to that, those people that are serving you are going to look at you and they're going to say, it's the body and the blood of Christ broken and poured out for you. This is the way that we continue to remember and to participate in the message of the gospel. That there's nothing 
that saves us apart from the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. No church attendance, no gospel community attendance, no certain study, no nothing apart from Christ can save you. Man, Zacchaeus being in, the, in that tree that day could not save him from what was headed his way. Only Jesus. So when you come to celebrate this meal together, that's why we say that to one another. And here's the body and the blood of Christ that was broken and poured out to you, for you. It's, it's, it's the way that we remind one another. It's the way that we preach to one another of the gospel. That's why we do that. So that meal is for those of you that are here that are Christian, that are part of the family. And I know as, as offensive as this can sound, if you're not, if you've not trusted in Christ, don't, don't come. Don't partake in something that, that actually has no meaning or power for your life. But our hope is, our hope is that you would begin to follow Christ, that, that this would maybe be that moment where you would catch a picture of him, uh, maybe a picture of your lostness without him, a picture of the hope that you have in him, and that maybe in this moment you would begin to follow him. And if that's you and you're wanting to know, like, how do I do that? What does that actually look like? And there's a few of us near the front that would be happy to pray with you that way. And then, and then when we're done with that, then take communion. Be part of the family because the body and the blood of Christ is broken and poured out for you, right? And there may be some of you here that you just have prayer needs, struggles, things that you're wrestling with. Um, you can also come down to the front for prayer for that. Um, so let, let's enter into that time of worship and communion together in prayer. Um, so I just invite you guys to stand with us as we close. Um, I want to say thanks for being here and uh, love you guys. Thanks for letting me preach. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.